0: This is Cliff Mass and welcome to my weather podcast. Each week I talk about current weather, provide a forecast for the weekend and beyond, and give you more details about an interesting weather phenomena. It's Sunday, January 15th, and let's talk about the weather and the forecast. Today, a low center, Pressure that's about 990 hectopascals, a moderate low, is moving up the coast. And it's moving from off of southern Washington and it'll go across southwest BC. Rain has spread inland over the western side of Washington state. And I expect as the low moves north of us, uh, rain will not only pick up, but so will the winds. Winds will definitely start gusting up to 30 to 40 miles per hour. Uh, over much of western Washington tonight. Well, after the low moves through on, on Monday morning, things will calm down. And I expect uh, just a few showers on Monday and Tuesday. There'll be a few sprinkles on and off. And the high temperatures will be in the upper 40s in western Washington. And temperatures should be similar in eastern Washington. So not such bad days on Monday and Tuesday. On Wednesday, on the other hand, a really strong front, big temperature change, big wind shift, some rain will move through. And so I expect some rain on Wednesday and some winds as this front moves through into Western Washington. But then after that front goes through, everything changes. After weeks of stormy weather on the West Coast, with one trough after the other, the jet stream Uh, pummeling the, the West Coast, especially California, a very strong ridge of high pressure will form over the eastern Pacific. This is going to form what's called an omega block with a ridge offshore with troughs to the east and the west. We're going to get this really big ridge and it is going to shut down precipitation along the entire West Coast for many days. And this could be a week of dry conditions. California, which has been enjoying the wettest midwinter in over a century, will dry out completely. Uh, As the ridge builds in, we will be on the eastern side, and on the eastern side of the ridge we'll have northwesterly flow, and that's going to bring in cooler air, and so temperatures will only get up into the mid-40s, but we'll have a reward, and that will be sun on the eastern side of the ridge, there's downward motion. that tends to eat up clouds. So except for some fog in some places, I think there's going to be considerable sun as we get into Thursday, Friday, and beyond. So that's going to be our reward. So get out your sunglasses. Thanks for listening. Weather doesn't end with the forecast. Now let's talk about the special weather topic of the week. Is there a data void over the Pacific Ocean? That's an interesting question. A few nights ago, I heard a local TV weathercaster, and I'm not gonna reveal the name, who suggested that forest forecast skill is limited here in Seattle because of a lack of weather observations over the Pacific Ocean. They even referred to this as the Pacific data void. And, The suggestion is, without enough data to describe atmospheric conditions over the oceans, numerical weather models, forecast models, can't predict what's happening over the ocean and downstream, such as over the West Coast. Now, 60 years ago, such a description might have been true. But it's not true anymore. Today, there's plenty of weather data over the ocean, We could always use more, but there's enough to know what's going on. And strangely enough, in some ways, the Pacific coast is some of the most skillful forecasts in the nation, even though our air is generally coming off the Pacific. This podcast will tell you the story. Okay, let's go back 60 years ago to the early 1960s operational numerical weather the prediction using computer simulation of the weather had begun by then but data over the oceans was very poor on land of course there were many surface observations particularly at airports and there were over 100 locations in the united states that had balloon borne weather observations in the vertical these are known as radiosondes. But over the ocean, there were very few radiosons except for a few island locations like Hawaii. And at this surface, there were only a few scattered ship reports. So with few observations over the oceans, meteorologists had difficulty forecasting both over the ocean and immediately downstream, like the West Coast. Now to illustrate this problem, Consider the great Columbus Day storm, which made landfall on the Northwest coast on October 12, uh, 1962, with huge amounts of damage and destruction and loss of life. This storm was not forecast the day before. Hurricanes would make landfall on the Southeast US coast without warning as well. But this doesn't happen anymore. It can't happen anymore. A big reason is satellite-based weather observations. The first dedicated weather satellite, TIROS-1, was launched in 1960, and it produced relatively coarse images. But by the mid-1970s, a constellation of two types of satellites were in place, the polar-orbiting satellites and the geostationary satellites polar orbiting satellites orbit low on the order of 800 kilometers above the surface, and they let the Earth rotate beneath it. They only see a swath about 2,000 miles wide as the Earth rotates underneath them. But they have a good view of what they do see, and they can see the poles. While the geostationary satellites orbit very high above the equator and in a special orbit, that allows them to stay with the planet and see the same locations continuously. But they can't see the poles that well. So that's why it's nice to have two types of satellites. By the early 1980s, the the combination of both types of satellites, launched by the United States, the Europeans, and others, provided weather imagery of the entire planet in real time the days of surprise landfalling storms was over. But that is not the end of the technological advances in weather satellites. Uh, Early weather satellites sent pictures of the earth in the visible and the infrared portions of the electromagnetic spectrum. But during the 1980s and 1990s, more wavelengths were added, each with the ability to see different levels of the atmosphere. And so combining them together, we could get the temperature and moisture structure in the vertical over the entire planet. It was like having radio sounds everywhere. Uh, Other weather satellite sensors could monitor small ocean waves, which allowed you to determine wind speed and direction above the earth's oceans everywhere. Satellites, also had the technology to track clouds and moisture patterns, securing wind speed and direction at multiple levels. And I'm only scratching the surface of the capabilities that developed. Today, we have massive weather observations over the entire planet in 3D from weather satellites, providing a comprehensive starting point for numerical weather prediction. The data void over the Pacific and the oceans is gone. But it's even better than that. The weather weather void was also attacked by increased aircraft observations. Um, For the last decade or so, many aircraft got the capability to take weather observations as they flew, taking off and landing from airports and while they were at cruise altitude providing vast amounts of data over the main commercial air routes, many of which were over the ocean. So next time you travel to Asia, Hawaii, or Europe, your plane could well be contributing to numerical weather prediction. At the surface, nations like the United States have put in place thousands of weather buoys, some fixed and staying in the same locations, and and others floating around the world's oceans providing weather data in real time. With massive observational capacity over the entire atmosphere of our planet, weather prediction has become hugely more skillful with weather forecasting skill extending not the two or three days of of three decades ago, but into the second week now. Um, The cost of these weather satellites and these other sensors have been substantial, costing billions of dollars per year. But the extraordinary value of these observations, increasing forecast skill, and reducing deaths and damage is immense. And thus all this technology and the science behind it were excellent investments. I think it could be argued that this is one of the great accomplishments of our species that we all can be proud of. Thanks for listening. thank you for listening to my podcast feel free to send me your questions or any topics you would like me to cover this podcast will be available every friday morning on my blog and major podcast platforms if you would like to support this podcast feel free to use the patreon link on my blog see you next time